Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time podcast presented exclusively on the Chop Sports channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We're recording this on Monday, March 27th. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, the international break rolls on interminably. We'll talk women's football. But first, it finally has happened. Antonio Conte has been sacked as Spurs manager. We knew it was coming. We saw it was going to happen, and it did. But first, please like, share, subscribe, wherever you are, whatever podcast software you're using, wherever you live in the world, England, India, Australia, Canada, please share the show. It means everything. If you're listening on YouTube, subscribe. If you're on a podcast, follow, and let's get to it. So um, Antonio Conte has been sacked finally after his massive tirade after Spurs blew their uh, game against Southampton. It had been stirring. It had been brewing. There have been names. Uh, it looks like Stellini will come in. His his staff who 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 helped him out while he has had his gallbladder surgery will take over the team, and uh, with with Ryan Mason as the second. I think it's I don't think maybe Stellini is not his name, but it doesn't matter. Someone will find out and let me know in the comments below. Um, so where does this put Spurs? This has become now a a referendum on Spurs, a club that everybody who has the plays the squeaky bum time drinking game has suffered and continues to suffer. They're now on, I believe, 10 managers without winning a trophy. Um, this is about as big a club and about as large as you can be as a club and as covered without winning. Um, they last won a League Cup in 2008. I believe the FA Cup in 81 and the last league title was Bill Nicholson in 1961. So there is a narrative on top of Spurs that they don't win. They don't win. And when they do get close, they blow it. And I believe that Levy, uh, the chairman who owns 20% of the team, um, who runs the team, the other owner is in absentia, um, is a good business person and does put Spurs in good position. They did do all the work with the stadium. He, there is some semblance of a plan in place, but in the context of Manchester United, Liverpool, Manchester City, Arsenal to a lesser extent, Chelsea, Spurs are the fifth most wealthy team, and they have to spend and manage things as expected. I think that over the long term, you have a history with Spurs where we, if we go through their managers, we go from Harry Redknapp and, and Martin Yol, and then you have these moments where they, there's an inflection point uh, after Bale leaves under Villas-Boas. There's a young manager who's going to grow with the team. And you sort of had that sense of a moment. I'm giving this history to sort of see how we got to Conte and how this all kind of went off. And I know most of us know, you know, the the, the heights of the Pochettino era, etc. But you have Villas Boas come in, he buys the the bail eight with the 90 million from uh Real Madrid and it doesn't go well and it's not quite there. And 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 potentially, you know, Villas Boas could have pulled Spurs out of it, but he wasn't able to. And then we go into the Sherwood era 
who, to be fair to Tim Sherwood, who was a, a soldier and, you know, he did a good job with the club. He does discover Harry Kane and does play him and Delhi and whatever. So we have these moments. This is around um, 2013, 14, around this era. And to be fair to Spurs, since 2008, they have finished in the top 10 consecutively. Consecutively. Not 10th, actually better. better. They are in single digits placement since 2008-9. 8th, 4th, 5th, 4th, 5th, 6th. Fifth, third, second, third, fourth, sixth, seventh, fourth, fourth. This has been their greatest era. So to give Levy a heart, just to give you context, before that, they were, you know, 11th, 5th, 5th, 9th, 14th, 10th, 9th, 12th, 10th, 11th. You know, in the 90s, they were not as good. But this is Spurs really in their best moment touching the champions league touching the the top levels of the league and this is all under levy he's done a great job he really has as much as they all want to blast him so the issue here is the 16-17 season under spurs was their title they were a plus 60 they had 86 points they were the best team in england and it's that summer that they don't buy. Then they slip down a level in the, and they slip down again. Then Pochettino starts to get long in the tooth and they're hanging on. And the inflection point comes when I believe that Levy thinks that if he fires Pochettino, that the issue for Spurs is they just need a manager who's a winner. At the time, if we remember, Pochettino was not a winner. He hadn't won anything. You know, he does go to PSG, he gets his victory, but he's still not considered a, you know, a winning manager, whatever, whatever that glow of lifting one of those cups means. And so Levy believed that all that Spurs needed was the personality to push them over the top. And he goes with Mourinho. And we know how that goes. Now, to be fair, he gets the best season out of Harry Kane. That's his 25 and 17 season which is an insane season when he and Hinman's son are just whatever but they defensive 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 the Mourinho thing doesn't work they fire him a week before the league cup final Mourinho will always probably say well I had that one in the bag you guys just fucked me uh <laughs> I'm sure he's saying that somewhere uh but they did finish seventh out of out of the league places and for Spurs that's a lot of money and so he goes tries to get Conte in at that point. It all goes wrong. They can't get any of their managers. They try for Gattuso and they fall on Nuno, who's like the eighth choice. Conte comes in after Conte doesn't really have a deal with Inter. He's like, all right, fine, I'll do it. And he does supercharge this Spurs team. They get fourth. And then this season, they're still in fourth, but it's not quite working. Why did Levy do this? For Spurs, there was a belief that they just needed a winning mentality and the hard-ass, kicking-the-balls coach was going to do it for them. But I don't think that we're in that era anymore. We're not, if you look at all the best teams, you look in all the best leagues, managers that are winning things are not winning with defensive run-all-day stuff. That's been coming out of the Spurs camp. It's not fun. They're not having fun. The fans aren't having fun. You can tell they're not having fun because when you're a manager who's solely based on winning, when you don't win, 
it sucks and it pervades through the squad. And so where Spurs go next will be interesting. Uh, there, there's a parallel story here. We have Bayern Munich who preemptively fired a coach because they sensed something was wrong. This is almost Bayern Munich and Spurs are almost mirror images of each other. Bayern hyper successful, buttoned up, knows what they're going to do next, does things proactively, does things on the things, but under pressure, under pressure. Spurs more reactive, trying to just get their hands on a trophy. Whereas Bayern Munich is, oh, we won two trophies. That's not good enough. It doesn't look right. And they fire Nagelsmann. Uh, and Tuchel has now been announced just to for 10, ga- ten for two games, the, the game against Dortmund and the game against Manchester City. And I think there's an interesting dichotomy between these two clubs. Uh, we don't talk about Bayern much. I don't talk about the Bundesliga much, but they are one of the aristocratic, all encompassing super clubs. And they represent Germany and they represent winning and win at all costs, win at all measure. No matter what, you have to win. Where Spurs are Spurs, they're, well, we're Spurs. There's a little bit of a a tinny-voiced mouse going, yay, we're Spurs, a little bit. And and they're trying to get out of that. And that's why Conte was there, and that's why Mourinho was there. But I think if I look and I close my eyes and I channel my inner Mike, Mike loves Pochettino. He's a bit of a mix. He's attacking, but firm and a lot of running. So it's fit, it's Bielsisma, but it's also attacking. So Spurs need to find their footing again. Do they go back to the attacking and go back to building a project? They don't know what's going to happen with their side. I think, you know, it it is reasonable. And I think any Spurs fan would say Harry Kane might leave and Hinman's son might leave. And this might become a Richarlison team with Kulishevsky. And and they'll they'll slip down. But I, I I do have faith that Spurs infrastructure of Levy is maybe the floor is high, but the ceiling is is low, if that makes sense. So the Spurs have established a good floor where they're, you know, five, six, seven, they're in that range. But how do they get into third again, into second, like they did under Pochettino, where they finished third, second, and third again? And that plus 60 still stands out. I mean, that was a great team. 17, 16, 17 was just a great team. And they lost to Chelsea, Conte's Chelsea, uh, for that matter. But that was a great team. Oh, an all-time great team. The the 20-goal Daly Alley season. Just an incredible performance by that team. You know, they still had Al Deverald and Vertonghen and still had Musa Dembele and Victor Wanyama were still there. Very strong, very powerful, very capable of handling anything. Trippier was still there. Walker was still there. They still had a lot, a lot going forward. And that's when City took Walker away and the thing kind of started to to dwindle a little bit. Walker was an important player for that team. And then they never replaced Aldevarald and Vertonghen and they waited and they thought Davidson Sanchez, all the stuff that happened. But I'm I'm still Team Levy. I, I think that Spurs fans aren't giving him enough credit. I think that, that he's probably in good shape and and uh, and we'll see where things go from there. So that's really the Premier League news that's been going on. Um, we can get into internationals in a minute, but the first thing I really want to touch on is um, the WSL in England, a wonderful league. Um, the women's league is fantastic. I absolutely love 
the British Women's League. I don't get to watch it as much as I'd like to, but uh, this weekend, uh, my beloved Manchester City defeated the all-powerful um, uh, Chelsea under Emma Hayes, and they got themselves up into um, a tie for second place. And I'm just trying to find the fixture list here. So, uh, Women's Super League. I know FB Ref has it. I just want to find all the information just so we it's not even finding it. Let's just try another way. Let's try. Uh, there we go. Bunny Shaw. Bunny Shaw. Uh, Manchester City's prolific striker. Manchester City right now on a 14-game unbeaten streak. The WSL looks like this. So this weekend, usually in March, is is usually women's football. Um, women's football week when neither the men or there's no effort cup. It's just an international week, and the women's league takes center stage. And we just had a big week where um. We had a Merseyside derby, Liverpool versus Everton. Liverpool, not great. They do not invest in their women's team. Everton, uh, been more of a feeder club. This this league is really about the top five. It's only a 12-team league. One team gets relegated. Three teams get a chance to go to Europe. But this weekend saw a clash of heavyweights, uh, a clash with, with um, you know, Manchester City defeating Chelsea, United beating West Ham, and then in the North London Derby, Arsenal put the hurt on uh, Tottenham to increase the damage <laughs> to those clubs. Arsenal uh, having a tough season, losing uh, Vivian Midiema, who's probably the best player in the world, or definitely uh, Arsenal's uh, talisman. But what I really want to talk about with this league, because I love it so much and I find it to be such a compelling league, is... The idea that the clubs are represented by men and women. So in this league, we have the, our traditional big six. We've got United leading the league. We've got City. We've got Chelsea. We've got Arsenal. We've got Aston Villa, Everton, West Ham, Liverpool, Tottenham. Uh, Brighton's team is holding on at the bottom of the league. But it's a tougher league. It really is. Uh, if you fall out, you are in trouble. There is relegation within this league. It's just a 12-team league. And it's only in the last five years, five, 10 years, become professional. But you have the big four there. They are there. They are fighting. And it's an extension of the brands. And it's an ex and I love how much, um, as a City fan, I can switch on to a woman's game and see the Sky Blues playing in a similar style and be proud of them and feel the connectivity between the men's team and the women's team. You do see it. Uh, Manchester City does a really great job of mixing their marketing. And you get to see John Stones hang out with Steph Houghton. And you get to see, you know, uh, Bunny Shaw practicing with, um, with Phil Foden. So there's an integration within the sort of larger structure of Manchester City um, that that the men's team is connected. So one of the things that I don't know that everybody knows is these clubs more so in, in Europe than in England, but these clubs all have many levels down. So the men's team is the pinnacle level of the team. It is the money generating part of it. It sort of operates more like almost like a college level, but Manchester city will have under 21s, under 16s, under 12s, under eights. They'll have the premier development squad, which is a non-age bracketed team, but it's just for the best of the best and players that are 
on the fringe and they'll play sometimes with city or they'll practice with the, with the, with the senior players. And then they have a women's team and a couple levels deep there. And the Manchester city women have really pushed and have done better in Europe than in the league, but um, they have been pushing to try and win this league. They have one league championship and they're, they're back at it again. Um, but Chelsea has been the class of this league uh, and for city to defeat Chelsea with Emma Hayes, who was a star of ESPN's World Cup coverage. She was that uh, woman with the blonde hair who's got a Barney Rebel quality to her. Looks a little disheveled. Kind of looks like a crazy coach, but it's a lady. Uh, she's fantastic. They they sport uh, Sam Kerr, the Australian wonder wonder striker who's just plays with force and comes from Australian leagues football and has come in to play Manchester United, who are a resurgent squad. They didn't exist. They didn't really take the women's game seriously. But I think that to the Glazers' credit, and to Manchester United, Manchester United's credit, they saw that they were missing out on this great opportunity. They had been in fourth all these years, uh, really not really challenging. They've only been in the league since 1920. Maybe this is only as far back as it goes. I'm going to go a little bit further. WSL, let's see how far back it goes. Uh, I don't think United had a team until um, recently. Uh, they were an amateur team playing within this league yeah uh yeah it goes back to 17 18 so we only it only goes back a couple years but those early years were chelsea has been dominant in this league winning five of the last six seasons with arsenal winning once uh, behind vivian medima who i absolutely love but city are in this with bunny shaw the jamaican international she's fantastic she came from uh bordeaux city have been reload have reloaded they were a team that let a lot of players go. A lot of players went to Barcelona. A lot of teams, there's been a lot more competition, especially in the European game. Barcelona has gone, I think, two seasons undefeated. They're one of the greatest footballing sides that, that anyone has ever seen. Um, we have the uh, Champions League, Lyon has done really, really well. They didn't win the Champions League for the first time, but they had won five or six in a row. And the French had led the way in women's football uh, for many years, but the English have done well. And the last five or six years have been really a massive growth within the women's game. And it's been led by the Europeans. Uh, I think the U.S. has done good work in terms of we fund our college women. We we respect we have the best team in the world. We have the most female players. But the Europeans have caught up very quickly. Uh, and I think that's due to their coaching. They have taken you know, there is a path for men's coaches to start with women and then go on. You see uh, Phil Neville, um, Gary Neville's brother, was the women's, the Lionesses coach. He moved on to become Miami FC's coach in MLS. So he went from women to men. Uh, City's coach, uh, NYCFC's coach now is current, was the women's coach for Manchester City. Uh, so he went on and went from one to the other. So they're taking all their coaching, all that institutional knowledge onto the men's game. They've let all the other stuff go and they're pouring money into the women's game. And you're seeing it in this high level of competition behind existing brands. And it just, for me, I just go from one shirt to the next. I see the blue. I'm excited. I shared with John that, you know, Manchester United were winning the league and I could sense in a minute, he was like, Oh, that's my team. So there's a little bit, 
less of this sort of bifurcated split between, oh, I'm kind of create a new brand like the New York Liberty or the LA Sparks. I'm talking about uh, American NBA teams. Or, or in the US, we have like San Diego Wave and the Angels FC, where I'm just like, it's so hard to create a brand. Why are these women's clubs in other countries trying to make new brands? Uh, especially in the US, we love to make a new brand. We love to make a new name. We love that. There's no reason you can't license out the name of a team and just be connected to each other just so that you don't have to market twice and you can get the same fans. Um, I've had this argument with, a couple of uh, of journalists who cover uh, women's sports, and they they seem to not like the idea of being underneath the male brand. Um, but because women want to have their own thing and feminine, they want to have their own and stand on their own. But I just don't, I don't see the value in trying to create something new and out of whole cloth when you have a ready-made jet stream to climb right behind and sell shirts. Uh, I, I I do recall Mike and I talked about when um, Alex Morgan uh, played for Spurs. It was solely to shell shirts, but I think it makes sense. I think it's it's smart. It's it's something to aspire to and use your use your brand to expand the market, right? Like you know, football is expanding with 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 female fans. But why make it harder by making them split off from each other and be different? Like, just be, we're going to go to Manchester United. We're going to see Marcus Rashford play on a Saturday. And we're going to go see Elia Toon, uh, Alessa Russo, World Cup star, Lioness star, play for Man United on Friday night. We don't have to get different shirts. It's still our club. We still feel it inside versus trying to make a new brand like the devils, like the lady devils or, or something that wouldn't make sense. So um, I like the idea of respecting women, of respecting the brands and connecting the clubs together. I love that feeling of just like, oh, we're in this together. This is the women's team standing right next to the men's team. And we all represent Manchester City, or we all represent Chelsea. And there's not a split because it can share so many resources versus the sort of American model where we make all these new names. And um, I, I don't understand it. It seems really weird to me that, you know, you have a league in the U.S. especially, you have a league that doesn't really stand on its own as it is. And you're trying to make a woman's league with completely different naming. Uh, yeah. So the women's teams in the U.S., just to give you just to give folks a sense you have the Thorns that are in Portland, the Wave in San Diego, Gotham FC in New York, uh, when they could just be NYCFC. You have the Spirit, the Courage, the Dash, Louisville, Red Stars, when it could be Chicago Fire Ladies, Angel City, which could be LAFC, uh, the Rain, which I believe is based on Olympic Lyonnais. I think they own the team. They are, I don't even know where they are, the OL Reign, Olympic Lyonnais Reign. So they're they're at least cross-branding. And then the Pride, which I believe is an Orlando team based on um, the Orlando Pride, right? Based on, you know, it should be Orlando FC. Like, I don't understand why they're trying to make new brands and trying to figure all this out when we should just just be connected and draft off each other. And maybe there'll be times when the men's team is down and the women's team will lift them up versus you know, trying to make two brands at the same time. I'd love to hear people's different comments and why I'm wrong. Uh, I just don't understand the point of 
of trying to make two brands at once, it seems really, 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 really strange to me to try and do that. Um, I should probably go and just check in on uh, World uh, UEFA qualifiers just to give everyone a sense of team games have been going on. Uh, your favorite friends have been playing. <laughs> uh, they've just been playing with their national teams and just getting ready for the Euros. And uh, we can we can give this a shot really quickly just to give a sense of our friends around the world. Um, so over the since these last two qualification days, we've had I'll just go through it just because they've got 10 games to go through. There are a bunch of groups, the big ones here, um, England defeating Italy. I think I talked about it on a Monday. No big deal. Uh, Serbia. Uh, Belgium defeating Sweden. Zlatan coming back into the side. Good stuff there. Lukaku scored a hat trick. France defeating the Netherlands 4-0 is a big deal uh, because that's Ronald Koeman taking over Van Hall. Ronald Koeman is not a great coach. He's been having a hard time. Scotland gets a win. That's a good time. And Spain plays Norway, but no Holland. Wales getting the result of the round. A draw away at Croatia where they're completely utterly and totally dominated Nathan Broadhead in the 93rd minute. They only had four shots, one on target, and it was in the last minute. Uh, Croatia, dominant, uh, 19 shots, eight on target. So we get a sense, you know, some of the things that happen with Croatia are happening again. They can't really score goals, but they still have the best midfield in the world between Modric and whoever else is next to Modric. Uh, they got a lot of good players. And then uh, the match week that just passed, so they're playing two games, and they'll probably play even one more. Actually, no, that'll be it. Um, England defeat Ukraine in a very emotional game. A lot of Ukraine uh, flags, a lot of um, a lot of energy in the game. But Saka with the worldie, Harry Kane, now your all-time leader in goals scored for England. You know, they get it done. England are probably through at this point, getting two wins on the start. They'll have six points. They don't really have to worry about much after that. Uh, other games to write home about. Um, let's sort of see. Italy get off to Schneid. They defeat Malta of uh, Postman and um, and Cooks. So Italy only scoring two goals against Malta is not good. Portugal put six on Luxembourg. Of course, Cristiano's playing and scoring goals. He just won't go away. And Portugal will never win anything with Ronnie Ronaldo uh, still playing because he's 38 years old and he needs to go away. And I think that he saw Messi and I think that he's going to try and hold that team hostage. And I don't think that Roberto Martinez is a good coach, nor is he strong enough personality-wise to take on someone like Ronaldo, who's basically a fucking institution and they can't get rid of him. Uh, Poland defeat Albania. Poland are terrible. And Sweden get back off the schneid uh, against Azerbaijan. Uh, Alanga, Emil Forsberg, some fun players. Oh, we have a name difficulty here. Bahul Mustafazada. Oh, nice name. Scored an OG uh, for Azerbaijan, getting, you know, Sweden back into the lineup. But, you know, it's fun for our friend Mr. Uh, Mr. Zlatan being part of the story. He's going to come off the bench and try and teach the kids a thing or two. And then the great and powerful France, a 1-0 win against Ireland, not a great performance, but Pavard hangs on. So if you're curious about um, these groups, let's see. Top two in every group goes to the Euros. 
And basically all the big boys get their own group. So Spain is in its own by itself. France is in its own with like the Netherlands, Ireland, and Gibraltar. England and Italy are in together, but Italy ha- England has already beat Italy and already beat Ukraine. They're in a group with Macedonia and Malta. Malta might not fucking sniff anything. North Macedonia, okay, fine. <laughs> uh, but you get a sense that basically these groups are designed for the big teams to get through, and the Euro qualification is actually, frankly, quite easy uh, for any team worth its salt. So, for instance, Portugal's in Group J. They're two and zero, ten goals for zero against. You know, they don't. They have Slovakia, Bosnia Herzegovina, Iceland, Luxembourg, and Liechtenstein in their group with them. So they don't really have to worry. Some of these uh, lesser teams in Europe just. They're just so poor. They just are, you know, cannon fodder for your bigger teams. Just remember, the Euros used to be only 16 teams. It used to be hard. And now it's, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 18 teams? That doesn't sound right. Nine groups. Oh, anyway. Plus some third place teams. I don't know. A lot of fucking teams. You basically can't not make it uh, if you have a country of over like 10 million people. Uh, so, you know, it's a crazy, it's a crazy thing. We go through it. We do it. U.S. Has played some nation league games, defeated Granada, the Grenadines, the, 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 this person, the, that person, you know, these are the things that happen. Oh, we, we just won one nil versus El Salvador. That's a tougher game. Nations League that happened today, uh, one nil. Ricardo Pepe scoring a goal. Uh, I didn't watch. I don't even know who's coaching this team. I think the interesting part is whether uh, Gio Reyna is in, and he was. He played playing a number ten role behind Daryl DK with um, um, Pulisic on the right. Uh, we saw Musa, McKenney, Dest, Robinson, Ream, you know, Anthony Robinson. So the t- the the regular crew is playing, but you know. U.S. does not get tested in its own uh, region, unless it's Mexico. And even then, I think right now the U.S. are well ahead of Mexico. We really don't have any tests unless we find them. Uh, And it's really hard to find until whatever. Plus, in this next World Cup, we are in it. So we automatically qualify. We won't play an important game until the summer of 26. And that's when we'll find out where the U.S. is. Hopefully, we see a lot of growth from players. Hopefully, we see a lot of um, a lot of um, energy and power coming from the U.S. men's national team. But that's where that is. So international break is always super tricky. I do want to give um, a really important shout to uh, a player we're going to hear a lot about in terms of transfer rumors, in terms of players, in terms of who changes the balance of power, and that is... Borussia Dortmund's Birmingham's own uh, Jude Bellingham. He's such a fucking good player. Like the more and more I watch football, the more and more I understand the power of good midfielders. Uh, I have to say I was an amateur and I didn't know, but when you watch how Liverpool has declined, how City continue to maintain dominance, how Real Madrid continues to maintain dominance, you will always find great midfielders on those teams uh, with Modric, with Cruz, with Camavinga, with Casemiro, now at United, with Ericsson, 
you know, with with Rodri and Kevin De Bruyne and Gundogan and and Bernardo Silva, these players are so important because they can do a multiple of things. They can assist and attack. They can get the ball from defense. They can get win the balls back. And Jude Bellingham is a superstar player in the making. Uh, just 19 years old, been playing since he's 16 years old in Birmingham City. For my nerd heads, you know that I like to look at the championship. I knew about him at Birmingham, Birmingham City way back when. He was just a shirt, this tall kid with this giant shirt that just billowed. But he played every game, even at 16 years old. He was awesome for Birmingham City. And I think a handful of teams uh, were in for him. And he was so smart to know to go to Dortmund that he knew he would play. And since 17, he's already like the captain of the club. I mean, he's just a fantastic, fantastic player. Jude Bellingham is going to become a huge, huge conversation all through the summer. Um, you know, he's at the, is he going to go to city? Is he going to go to, um, is he going to go to Real Madrid? Uh, as much as I love my own team, Pep is a difficult proposition uh, because he expects things that are be otherworldly and he just, it's hard to play for Pep and he's going to have to learn how to do that. He seems super smart and capable and able to, but you know, Real Madrid just has that extra. They has the history, you know, if Real Madrid come for you and they want you to be there, you go uh, as much as I love my team. Uh, I do think that if Liverpool make the top four, they have a shot, but it might be a crazy number. Uh, you know, it might be, you know, $120 million for Liverpool. That might just be too much for them <laughs> to try and get involved in, but he is a once in a generation player. Uh, and when he becomes available, you have to go after him. He's only, you know, he's 6'1". He's still only 19, going to be 20 this summer. Only 20 years old. Uh, his players that he's similar to, there's no one. Goretzka, Fede Valverde, these sort of, Fred is not similar. Uh, these kind of players, these all action midfielders. Uh, eventually his goals will come. Right now he's on four and four, last year three and eight. Uh, he'll get there. I think it's about timing and figure out when to go, when to get in the box, when to hold back. You know, that reading of the game that becomes so difficult and is so hard. It's that it's that when to go, when to come. I think when to speed up a game, when to slow it down, when to make the pass, when to play it back. So when you when you think about someone like Luka Modric, this is this is that generation. This is that level of player. Uh, the only thing concerned now is starting at 16. How many miles does he have in his legs? So if you think about someone like Wayne Rooney, started at 16, done at 30, you know, uh, or someone like Michael Owen, started at 16, done at 30. You know, those miles can pile up really fast. And if they're not careful with how much he plays, he could get, you know, deader legs in the later years of his career. And maybe he's done at 32, 33, or he gets burnt out. You know, 16 years old is really early to start. Hopefully he finds that balance of of how much to play uh, and how much he wants to play. But that's, that's for, those are later questions right now. This is going to be the summer of Bellingham and where he goes and where he ends up and what he does is going to be 
massive, massive, massive. So um, I really try to try to take my foot off the gas because the season's really long during the international break. And I don't put too much hardcore thought into it, but I do have to. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about what's coming up on Thursday's show. We have the big one, the really big one, the historical giant game, the Nuevo Clasico, Manchester City versus Liverpool at the Etihad on the 29th, uh, on, on April 1st. There's going to be no fooling around. There's going to be no jokes. There's going to be no mistakes. S- Liverpool will come to try and ruin Manchester City's season. Where they are, they will find the energy to be a thorn in City's side. We'll cover the whole game on Thursday. I'm sure the buildup will be immense. I talked about it last week. Then you've got the Newcastle versus Manchester United on Sunday. That'll be a massive, massive game. And then um, Arsenal playing Leeds. We're just going to be following along with Arsenal as they tick off the games or drop games. We don't know where they are. We don't know how they are. I'm sure they did not want this international break to come, but it has come, and we'll see what Leeds can do against Arsenal as we get closer and closer to the end of the season. (laughs) I am wheezing my way (laughs) to the end of the season. Uh, We'll find out what's going to happen with Spurs manager probably in the offseason there are a lot of options um the popular with the fans options is pochettino but now does nagelsman want to get in the ring and take over this team despite not knowing what's going to happen with harry kane despite this top four battle uh, i think if they make the top four the options open up if they don't then they have to start looking in the sort of alternative universes of weirdness anyway I'm tired and I'm old. That was the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast with your host, me, Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the CHOP Sports Channel and presented exclusively by the Premier Streaming Network. We record on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Please check us out on YouTube, Laurent Cortines on YouTube. That's where the channel is, and we'll see you later.